0: Hello, and welcome to the Honest Property Investment Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the founder of NC Real Estate, which is my firm the surveyors, which helps landlords and property investors build mixed-use and commercial property portfolios that completely align with their goals. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. We're here at the end of season two of this podcast oh my gosh have you been with us for the last nine weeks we started by um off the record conversations in property investment where I went through how to make sure that you're actually speaking to agents on a level-headed t- way Then we went through how to avoid disasters in commercial property and residential property investment and Danielle Bell came onto the podcast to help me with that one. We then did planning for retirement through property investment with Felicia Flinders and went through all the different ways in which you can put together your pension pot. Next up, Kevin Whelan came and joined me for the pros and cons of residential versus commercial and... Building wealth through property, which was an exciting episode. Then Kath Fontana, the president of the RICS, came and just explained to me her experience. What a fantastic podcast that was! I really, really enjoyed that. Then We went on to 25 ways to find money for a deposit and Daniel Wood came and shared with us his experience. So hopefully you got ideas from that podcast. And then we did common property investment scams and Adam Vickers joined me for that. And finally, last week, Nishita Guka came and spoke all about legal packs. What? A season. It has been absolutely fantastic. So please make sure that you go back through and listen to all of those as and when you can because you're going to just get so much knowledge from them. So today I promised you I would come back in with an update about the property that I'm buying currently. And How I did the viewings, well, actually, my mother-in-law went and did the viewings for this property. She and my father-in-law went and had a look around and they took loads and loads and loads of pictures. They spent an hour and a half talking to the tenant. It was actually fantastic because I got an insight into what they thought about the tenant and how the tenant was and what they also thought about the building. And to be honest, Parts of the building are in a really bad state, but other parts of the building are really great. And the fact that the tenant seems determined to make it work makes me feel pretty confident that this is going to be okay. There are no rent arrears on that building I have checked. The tenants also paid up the insurance as well, so I don't have to worry about that in the slightest. Um, What I have made sure I've done is get a structural survey rather than a building survey and the reason being the second floor looks like it's experienced a lot of damp and the roof might not be in the best condition so to make sure that the building will stay upright and it will get through a mortgage valuation I have arranged a structural survey rather than a building survey because I don't think a building survey would tell me anything more than I already know about the building, whereas the structural survey will go a little bit deeper. And if necessary, I need to get anything else, I'll go back and get the building survey. Structural survey is not overly expensive. It's £1,250, including that, which is pretty good, I think. So I'm happy to pay the money. Um, If all being well there, this goes straight into solicitors' hands because um, today I got the okay on the deposit funding Um, the deposit funding is coming from a short-term cash flow which is taking a second charge over one of my um, personal assets and then I can lend that to um, my limited company now the reason I'm doing that is only because I've got a remortgage coming up on that property in November and so I'll be able to get the cash back out so I'm not going to stay on that short-term funding for long but it's a really good way of bridging the gap I mean, you never know, I'm recording this at the end of June, so July, August, September. I mean, November's five months out, but you never know how long these things are going on for. I mean, at least, you know, this will probably complete sometime around September, um, all being well. I mean, if the survey goes really wrong, then I won't be buying, um, because I don't have the appetite to do massive roof works at the moment, unless I can get a significant discount Um But yes, that is where I am at the moment. This will keep going. Um, Whilst we're going to take a couple of weeks break for the podcast before we jump into season three, um, I will be keeping you up to date because I'm going to be continuing to build this property portfolio. So this isn't gonna be the only property I'm under offer on. It's just the start. And commercial often takes a lot longer um, to go under offer with than residential just because the amount of checks that you've got to do. So watch the space, it's coming, I'm very excited about it. Um, Now this episode I'm going to do a mailbag episode because I had so many questions so I'm going to dive into that after this break where we will hear from Lionheart and then we've got a day in the life of a surveyor and I did it. This week, I showed you what one day in the life of a surveyor looks like. My days are so varied, but hopefully it gives you an overview of the types of things that I do. Ready? Let's take a quick break with Lionheart. Lionheart is the RICS's own benevolent fund, a charity that supports members of the RICS and their partners. They were established in 1899, so they have over 120 years of experience of supporting the surveying profession. Lionheart is separate from the RACS and a totally independent organisation and registered charity. They help RACS professionals, the life partner of chartered surveyors, as well as APC candidates, and have also recently expanded their support to surveying apprentices and students. Now, you're probably wondering, how can they help? Well, they provide training in the form of free workshops and webinars, and they operate a helpline through which you can access different types of support. They have over 30 workshops and webinars and a range from financial wellbeing, career and personal development, APC and post-APC webinars. The helpline service is bespoke to each person who calls as they try to offer a sort of package or service that suits your needs. Some of the services and support that we offer are professional counselling, coaching for a particular issue or challenge, legal advice, help returning to work or developing career after a period of not working, financial grants and general support. All of their services are free and to find out more please visit their website www.lionheart.org.uk. has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system at the tone please record your message when you have finished recording you may hang up or press one for more options hi it's me okay i thought because it's the last episode in the series i would do Dit loss day in the life of a surveyor now every single day looks very different so i can't give you a. Exact date. So I just thought, right, today, what did I do today? So I started my morning at 9 a.m. I always start at 9 a.m. And my first call was with a new asset management client that we've just taken on. We're building a multi million pound property portfolio for them. Whilst a lot of people think, Natasha, are you a saucer? No, we're not. We're asset managers. What we do is we work with uh, property portfolios, so the limited companies. We work with their CEOs and we put in place a property strategy and then we help them find and negotiate on that property. We work with them on a monthly retainer. The boundary for that service is that you have to be a members club member before you get access to that. And actually the members club is the perfect place to be. This is just for people who want um, that extra help and support. So it was a really exciting introductory meeting. We've got everything outlined as to how the process is going to go, what we're going to be looking at and the strategy. Then I took summer for a walk, had a bit of a break, went up to Magnolia Plantation, had a walk around, watched out for the alligators. Um, Next up, I had another asset management meeting. This is with um, another one of my clients who is building a development portfolio um, to grow cash flow and then to add uh, units to their portfolio. That's going really well. We've actually found a number of off-market developments that just need finishing up for them that's been a great strategy of ours we've found that through talking to other agents that we know and just getting referrals and because we can vouch for our clients that they've got the money they tend to just send them to us conversation we talk about what we're under offer on and um, what we need to add to the portfolio where we need to find the money everything around how we're going to manage those assets then i had a leaseholder meeting uh, with for one of the blocks that I um, have a flat in, uh, didn't go so well. It's just a lot of ups and downs of people who want to buy the head leasehold, people who don't. Some people want to contribute money, others don't. They don't understand that Um, by all working together it would be cheaper whereas if they decide to buy in later it could be more money for them and I have tried to explain that to them. I've been having one-to-one calls with them. I've put together a mini presentation so that I don't overwhelm them. We're still chugging along. I'm hoping that six out of ten leaseholders agreeing will mean that we can start moving along with that. I've sent an email to my solicitor just to see if we can move ahead. Um, We found another couple of amazing commercial deals today in um, Cornwall and Team NCRE presented it to me and I was like, yes, our client who's down there is absolutely going to love it. So we put together um, a deal analysis overview and we sent them through to our client and said, we have to get you a viewing in their ASAP because that fits in with the strategy that we created for her. So that's really exciting. Um, and then I finally got all the confirmation um, documents through for, um, this purchase that I'm doing with a commercial property I'm looking at. So I signed all of those documents and sent it back. Um, I rounded off the day. I have to write everything down. Um, Ooh, one thing I didn't notice we we've also had to put in place marketing for next month because obviously being a firm of surveyors, we have to be looking out for new clients. So we've put in place a webinar for next And if you go to ncrealestate.co.uk forward slash July 2021, you will find that. So my day is a lot of different things. Today is a Wednesday, so it's not necessarily a members club day. Members club days are Monday, Tuesday, Thursday but I felt compelled to tell you about this day because we've had a lot going on for our asset management clients and it's been a pretty productive day. So we're constantly sifting through deals. We're constantly helping our clients, um, build their portfolios. We look at, um, emails that come through from our members as well, and just make sure that they're moving in the right direction. If they send us through questions about properties that they might be buying, we make sure to respond to that within 24 hours. Um, I have a good team who help me run everything, but our main mission is to make sure that our clients keep building their property portfolios. And today was one of those days where we had a huge amount of breakthroughs and it makes me very proud to run my own company. So there we have it. There's a snapshot into my day in the life of a surveyor. Right, time to dive into my mailbag. Really excited about this. I think I've had some good questions. So thank you to those of you who have asked me questions, sent them in. You can do this via at honest property investment, or you can email me natasha at ncrealestate.co.uk, and I will save these the next questions that you ask for the next mailbag. So First question. What keeps up at night? Ooh, really good question. Okay. So for a very long time, it was the NC real estate was going to just lose all of its clients overnight. And that's it. The business goes bust. But due to the amount of work that my team and I put in in 2020, that isn't so much of a problem nowadays. In fact, I have well over 60 clients, maybe coming up on 70 clients and they are a fabulous group of property investors and so from that point of view we're in a really good place. What keeps me up at night and I find really frustrating is sometimes marketing. We do struggle internally to decide on what marketing works the best And sometimes I just don't have any ideas. I run at Natasha C. Collins. And during the day, when other people seem to be posting all this content about what they're doing on their property investment journeys, I'm working. I'm helping my clients. I'm finding investments. I'm literally on the ground trying to dig things up. And so I don't have the time (laughs) to put together content. And then by the time I am finished for the day, I feel like, oh, I'm tired, I just need to switch off from the computer, I can't look at the computer right now. And then that cycle goes again and again and again. So that tends to be what keeps me up is the fact that probably haven't got any content scheduled, even though the team does. Um, But sometimes I go quiet on my personal channels. And it's just because I really enjoy the work that I do. I really enjoy investing in property for myself. Yeah, Um, and sometimes I just can't think of ways in which to put it and more often than not I don't want to be splashing the properties that I'm buying all over social media until I've bought them or at least you know we're we're quite a way along because otherwise that kind of throws into jeopardy (laughs) what I'm doing if someone comes and pinches it so I struggle between what to say what to keep quiet on sitting down and finding the time to do it and then when I go to bed at night I think oh I should have posted that so I I now keep a diary that I can get up in the middle of night and write it down but then I so it keep that keeps me up at night um I was thinking to myself that all of the borrowing that I've got should keep me up at night but actually I know when I'm going to pay it back and I know all the loans that I've got out so essentially, it's for me, it's about how can I build my business? How can I hire the right team? How can I make sure that we're constantly growing, our clients are still getting the best from us, that we set ourselves apart. And I mull over things when people uh, say, say constructive criticism. I do mull over that for a lot just thinking like, how can we improve this? What will make it better? What will make this more user friendly? Um, And I don't always come up with the solutions quickly. And so I might be awake for a while um, or fall asleep and think in the next morning. But that tends to be uh, what keeps me up at night. I guess that's not That's called being a perfectionist. I want to get everything right. I want to hit all of my targets. I want to do blah, 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 blah. And so what keeps me up at night is if I haven't done something to the standard that I want to achieve it. And that is so frustrating. Second question. What is your advice for first-time buyers? And do you have any tips for doing your APC? Ooh, first-time buyers. What is my advice? I would go and find a mortgage lender first. Find out what they will lend to you. Find out how much you can borrow, and um, find out how much of a deposit you would need. Already got a deposit, and that's absolutely fine. Um, if you go to one mortgage lender and they don't give you what you want, keep shopping around until you do. Potentially find a broker. Although I think as a first-time buyer, if you went to high Street banks first, you'd probably get a good idea of what you could actually um, get mortgage lending. And once you've um, approved mortgage lending, that then sets you up to go out and um, shop in the market. So when you're speaking to agents, you can go and speak to them about um, the fact that you've got this lending already, so you're covered from that part, and then you can buy accordingly. One thing I wouldn't do, swept up with These prices that are astronomical right now, hold your ground, keep your eye on the market. When something comes up, go and see it, but don't get pressurized to jump into these bidding wars. That's not okay. That's not something that I would, um, that's not something I would even entertain. So what you want to buy, but try to change it uh, if something comes along. And hold yourself. But then, when you do find something, move quickly. Don't get into a bidding war. Just say, "We want to move quickly. We want this property. This is what we'll give you. Yes or no." And they can make that decision. So, these are my top tips. And don't get overwhelmed by the process. Oh, other top tip: Make sure you hire a good solicitor, not just a conveyancer that recommends to you. You want to go out and find a good solicitor. Hold your hand throughout it. I wouldn't be anywhere without my solicitor. I do like her holding my hand throughout. Even though I'm competent enough to make my own decisions, I love the fact that Nishita is here for backup. It makes me feel like I've got a great team. So do make sure that you've also got a good solicitor that's not just recommended by the agent. You want somebody who's really gonna support and help you. So hopefully that's useful. And then the second part of your question, have you any tips during For doing your APC, yes. So my first tip is find a good counsellor who you can rely on and who you like to talk to and who you can be honest to. That would be really, really important. Then from there, choose competencies which you enjoy. Don't choose for the sake of doing something, you know, because you think you should be a valuer or you think that it would be great if you got experience in X, Y and Z. Ultimately, after you've passed your APC, that doesn't matter. You're going to always move towards the things that you enjoy doing in the industry anyway. I would choose the competencies that you know that you can do well and ask your counsellor for support or guidance if you need additional competencies that you haven't, um, you haven't yet covered, um, but you need those competencies to add up to your full qualification. And then I would check in with my counsellor every single month and just let them know what you've been doing, where you think that there's gaps in your skills, your knowledge, so that they can help you find how to plug those gaps. That's one of the biggest issues with, with that relationship between candidate and counsellor. If you don't have that relationship where you can talk, you leave it far too late to where you realise that, oh, my gosh, I need to cover valuations level two or, oh, my gosh, I said that I was going to do landlord and tenant level three and I've never, ever handled my own lease renewal, that kind of stuff. Don't leave it two years down the line. Start talking about that between month three and six so that you've got a 12 month window where you can go out and get that experience. The other thing is when you get to revision time, don't start comparing notes to other people who are taking their APCs. Focus on you, stay in your lane. You're going to be questioned on whatever you've put in your documents or your submission documents. So just stick with that, you know, stick with whatever is in there, read around those topics and Make sure that you revise based upon what you've said you'll be able to do. And make sure throughout to look after yourself. Be kind to yourself because it is a stressful time. So you need to also diarize time for just le- leisure, chilling out, Netflix, whatever you want to watch. Make sure that you have time for you. Okay. Next question. How to source and finance mixed-use property? Okay, so how do we find mixed-use property? Um, I will tell you what I do with my clients and this may be helpful. So recently what's been really working for us is that I, first of all, with all of my clients, I need to know their goals. I need to know what properties we're finding, right? Otherwise, I cannot go out and find properties. There is no point me looking through the market and then no one, you know, just finding any old property and my client not wanting it. That is not what we do. We make sure we're very targeted in our search. So we um, start off by getting the client's goals, what the client is targeting for the next property. And then we search CoStar, auctions, and right move commercial that is just the basis if we see properties that are similar to what we want we then phone the clients no phone the agents sorry and just speak to agents about what we're looking for what they've got would they be accepting properties in the region that we're looking to buy or accepting offers sorry in the region that we're looking to buy so for example if my client has a goal of 10% gross yield I'm going to be asking You know, that is the target for the portfolio. That's what we're going to be buying at. Is it is there any reason, you know, should we go and view this property or should we not waste your time? Essentially very direct on it. If we should go and view the property, then we do the deal analysis, we read through all of the um agreements, leases, anything else that they've got. We ask for, you know, details on rent arrears, EPCs asbestos, electrical safety, gas safety, all that jazz. So we ask for all of that. We go through that. We put it into a deal analysis. What price would it work at? We then go back to the agent and say, yes, we're interested. We would be buying it at this price. Would you take it? Yes or no. So again, we're, we're trying to find out if we would get our offer accepted around there. Um, if it's a yes, we go out and view the property. If it's a no, we don't. And more often than not, Agents then come up and say, Oh, I've actually got this other property coming to market. Do you have a client for this? I would either say yes or no. And that's me being very honest. If I don't have a client for it, it's fine. Go and offer it to someone else. You know, I don't I don't need to have a look at it at the time. If I do, I will only say yes if I know that my client can perform because I do not want to put my neck on the line for clients who, you know, won't move forward with things. So that is how I'm getting mixed-use properties. And yes, it does require us talking to agents and my team talking to agents day in, day out. But that is part of the job. That is part of our job. That's how we operate over here. So it's also quite simplified. You know, we don't do direct to vendor because most of the time sellers have agents, especially with mixed use, they have an agent involved. In which case, if the agent's been managing the property, looking after the property, They also deserve to get fees when they sell from the client because they've been looking after it from um, acquisition to disposal. I'm not going to try and undercut anybody or cut anybody out. Um, I'm just going to be honest. So I think if I'm transparent, honest, say what I'm going to say, we get good deals and we get good deals regularly. If you've just listened to my idea in the life of a surveyor, you will have heard that. So that's how I... Find mixed use deals and then finance. Well, finance depends on how much money you've got in the bank. Um, you will have heard from the one that I'm doing at the moment. I'm using short term lending to finance the deposit, which is a second charge. A second charge on my personal portfolio, and then um, I'll be loaned to my limited company. But you can just use commercial finance. There's nothing stopping you using commercial finance or investor finance. Um, yeah, it depends where you've got your your source of deposit, really. Um, all you need is a good commercial broker. The commercial broker will help you finance the property. There we have it. It's as simple as that. Okay, next question. Why would an agent pass to you without putting a property... On this market, getting the best price for their vendor. So that goes back into where I've been talking about how I find mixed use property. And the reason that they property to me is because I know that I've got clients that can com- complete. You know, when you're talking about commercial mixed use property, the sellers are probably working on a different scale than they are on. Residential, so they will have a figure in mind that they want, they don't really mind going into a bidding war. With commercial, it's very rare to get into bidding wars as much as people say there's more people in the market, there's more demand. Very rare do I see bidding wars in this market for commercial. So they have a price in mind. Then, if I can tell them that my clients have got the money and they're able to complete, why wouldn't they pass me the property? It's as simple as that if you can prove that you have all the resources to complete and do the things that you say you're going to do why wouldn't you get the deal because especially with commercial and mixed use the rental value or the rental income is what gives the property a value so there is an, you know a lender's not going to lend if you start going and bidding up on it they there will be a a market value for the property and that's what the property is worth. So you're not going to get lending for properties that you're really bidding way too high on. So there is really a top of the market for what you're paying. Therefore, if you're offering about the right price, fabulous, from there, you know, okay, you can have it as long as you, you pay the, you know, a price similar to what we want and you can complete so that is why I would get given a deal rather than discussing it on the market and you would have to do the same and I think that's really the same doesn't matter where you are in the market at all even if you're doing residential you have to be able to perform and do what you say you're going to do and if that's the case agents trust you fantastic this is a funny one um Someone's asked me why don't I negotiate on my fees? (laughs) And a lot of people have been asking me that recently. My fee structure is what my fee structure is. I don't take a percentage of a deal. So the only way that you can work with me on a one-to-one basis and me be the asset manager in your portfolio is if you are a members club member, so that we can get to know each other. And any fee on top of that for being an asset manager negotiated based upon the workload i don't just take a fee at you know for any deal bought because i'm not an investment agent i'm not a sourcer i'm an asset manager right so that means that there's stuff ongoing on a monthly basis that i have to do and sort out and then why might i negotiate on my fees well i know how much time it takes to do these things i know how much i need to allocate my team to help and do things and quite frankly if you want me to go into battle on your portfolio and i'm out there negotiating for you and all of a sudden someone comes to me and says ah can you just take x amount of price off and i'm like oh yeah sure that's not great is it so if i start haggling on my price that doesn't look good to me doesn't look good for me at all because i'm expected to go and get you the best price so I don't negotiate on them my fees are what they are if you want to work with me fabulous if you don't want to work with me that's also okay that's why I offer the members club as a baseline service and um, it's just funny that that question comes up <laughs> it's my company my rules but also um, my fees are what they are we're not the cheapest in the industry but that's okay we offer a really great service and I'll stand by it how would you buy a property in America if you are living in the UK? Good question. Now, this is a really interesting question because obviously, I'm in a slightly different situation where my husband earns and pays taxes in the US. So he can borrow in the US based upon his credit rating, which is very good. And so we can get homeowner mortgages in the US as per what US citizens can get. And that's not to say that you wouldn't be able to do that as a UK citizen investing over here, but you would have to put down a higher deposit. You'd be looking at somewhere around 25%. And you would have to um, figure out getting a bank account over here, which wouldn't be horrendously Difficult, but it would be an expat bank account, and then you'd get the higher interest rates being an expat, uh, being a UK citizen, and you would have a limited ac- limited access to banks. So maybe that someone like HSBC International, HSBC International rather, would lend to you. Um, but just remember that the US property market doesn't trade like the UK property market regardless of whether you're buying as an investment or you're buying for yourself you have to have all sources of finance to show proof of finance up front and whilst at the moment market prices are rising significantly um they don't do it all it, it's different areas have different fluctuations every single state has different Um, regulations in terms of buying and tax and remember as an investor in the US you're paying tax on the property similar to council tax or business rates but that comes to you as the investor or the owner and it's more expensive than in the UK right much more expensive than in the UK Um, and that really depends on the area that you live in within a town so it's not even like I could give you an example of, you know, if you buy a property worth $400,000, it's going to be this. It really varies state to state, county to county, even areas within counties, depending on um, what's been voted on. Um, here in South Carolina, for the property that we have, it's a really, really, really low um, tax. It's $2,000 a year. But that will only go up elsewhere. So just bear that in mind. It's quite expensive to own properties. Um, You have to get insurance as well on your properties. I mean, I would hope you do anyway, but really vital over here in order to get a mortgage. You need to have a think about weather conditions in the areas that you're going to be living in. So for example, Florida, you've got hurricanes. Um, So be prepared for that. Um, down here in South Carolina, we have hurricanes, uh, a lot of rain. Sometimes we have to be at, we're Because we're in the low country, we have to make sure that our properties are flood proof. You need to check the weather hazards. Um, That will also have an impact on price because your insurance will depend upon whether you're in a flood zone, whether you're in a high risk area. Um, And so that could add a lot of money to your monthly payments. So there's a lot to think about. If you're trying to invest in really cheap property, you know, like $10,000 to $20,000 dollars, Do a lot of research into why that is. It could be that the area is just an awful area. So please make sure that you're doing research. Hone in on a local area. You know, don't just say a state, oh, I want to buy something in Texas. Okay, well, what area of Texas do you want to buy in? Or California, what area of California? You need to know local areas because things vary so dramatically. You know, you could go couple of miles in another direction and be in a completely different area from what you're looking at. And so prices will vary accordingly. Prices also vary depending on the fit out of the house and how modern it is. So newly modernized properties with expensive stone countertops will be more expensive than those that haven't been done up recently so bear that in mind and um, hopefully that gives you a brief overview obviously I can't go into all of it right now but that is a starting place find your finance first and once you've got finance and a bank that will lend to you you should be then able to look for property um how do you buy a property in the UK if you are nowhere near it Good question. Okay, so let me talk you through the one that I'm buying at the moment. I've obviously not seen it. I'm not in the country right now. So first of all, I was uh, looking for properties of a certain type. Um, I came across this one through recommendation. I then asked my mother-in-law to go and see it, as I've said. She's took it, taken a lot of pictures. And then I ran the pictures by my building surveying friend who recommended a structural engineer. I've got the structural engineer going out at the time of recording. So I'm waiting for some feedback on that. And um, uh, from there, depending on the results, I'll be able to, to buy because I don't need to go and see the property to know that, you know, it can rent out nicely or not. So how I do it. I make sure I have a team. Obviously, it costs money. You have to spend out money beforehand if you need other people to go and do it. So I'm already in for a couple of thousand pounds before it's even gone to solicitors' hands. But I'd rather spend that and get professional to go and take a look at it than... I mean, I'm not a professional building surveyor or structural engineer, so I wouldn't be able to see the things that these people see anyway. Seen all the pictures and perfectly happy with it, so it really is about getting an expert to go around and view it for you. And I would rather spend the money there, and um, then goes into solicitor's hands, and all is well and good. So that's how I do it. Do, do I do research? Yes, I do research on local areas. I look at the demographics. I look at the sort of people who are in the area. Are the Uh, tenants who's around the tenant mix is the area trading well yes or no and then um, I make a decision I mean as we've said before in this podcast you can only be 80% certain at any point so I do know that there's an element of risk but I'm pretty comfortable in the fact that if I've done enough research I would know that I could go forward with it and it would be okay final question have you come across any property investment scams? Hmm, very good question. We did answer it on the um, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. One of the big things that I wouldn't get involved in at the moment is buying off plan. If someone says that they've got a property that uh, they can guarantee X amount of yield, whatever, um, and they... Um, and they want you to exchange before the property's uh, done, what we're finding is that on developments, because of the delays due to COVID and the cost of materials going up, and there not being as many workers or or contractors around, um, it's meaning there's delays on projects, costs are spiralling, and in some cases, I'm not saying everybody, but in some cases developers are overspending on projects, which means that they hit the end of their lending, lenders won't lend them any more capital. So they are looking for the money that they get from you at exchange in order to secure themselves some additional funding so that they can complete the project. Now, if they completely over leverage themselves and then they go bust and they close down the limited company, declare bankruptcy, um, your position is precarious about whether you're going to still be able to secure um, secure the property and you're going to have to spend a lot of time with your solicitor ironing that out. So whilst it's not a scam I would be really wary about buying off plan until you've seen a finished property. That's one thing that I'd be very aware of. The other thing is be really aware of people who are telling you that they can achieve you ridiculous return on investment. Someone said to me this week, "Can Natasha, can you get me a 50 to 70% return on investment? No, I can't. I'm not going to go and look at it. I've not seen that before. Um, and really, if you want that, you're going to have to work extra hard to find a deal um, where you see all the opportunities. It will be some sort of unicorn deal. I'm not interested in that. I'm I'm investing for the long term, you should look at your priorities in terms of that as well. Don't get swept up in all of this. Oh my gosh, it's so easy, blah, blah, blah. Property investment isn't easy. There's are simple processes. It's not easy. It's constantly making decisions. It's constantly weighing up the risk. And the higher the return on the investment, as we've said before, the higher the risk So you need to weigh that up. Don't just listen to what someone has said. Do your own due diligence. Make sure that you understand. Make sure you're competent to do a deal as well. Or if you're not competent, you've got the right experts around you. So we have it. My first ever mailbag episode. Did you enjoy that? I hope so. Reach out to me if you've got more questions, Natasha at ncrealestate.co.uk or at honestpropertyinvestment, and I will answer them in the next mailbag issue. Now, all that's left for me to say is I hope you've enjoyed this season. I can't—it's gone so quickly. I can't believe we're wrapping up here. I'm going to be taking a couple of weeks' break, and then we'll be back for season three. If there is anything you would like to see on this podcast, I'm going to leave my questionnaire below. Make sure you fill it in. As always, I need help to make sure that I'm producing content that really works for you. Okay, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. I really love that. That also helps this podcast get more views, which is so helpful for me. Thank you so much for listening to me this season. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.